Thank you for listening to the All Souls Church Sermon Podcast. We are a counterformational community devoted to following Jesus together in real life. For more information, go to allsouls.church. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we come to you in the name of your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, and we come by the power of your Holy Spirit. And God, we ask now that you would speak to us from your word. I pray that I might preach accurately what is in your word, and I pray that everybody here would hear your voice coming through the scriptures. So meet with every person here, Lord, Uh, especially those who are in tough times, feeling alone, feeling uh, lonely and depressed or frustrated or angry. You know how to meet every need of every person in the room. You know how to meet the needs of those who are walking in great joy and happiness right now and those who are struggling. So come, Holy Spirit, and teach us all. And most importantly, may we have ears to hear and eyes to see what you want to say to us from the scriptures today. So we pray these things in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. And all God's people said, Amen. Well, good morning. Uh, We are in the book of Ruth. Now, if you missed last week's sermon... We started the story of the book of Ruth. The book of Ruth is one really good short story, like really good, like movie quality, book quality, short story, Uh, amazing story from the standpoint of the characters and the twists of plot, and it has tragedy, and it has romance, and it has uh, all the elements that you would want, even a happy ending. Uh, So fantastic story in the Bible. So if you missed last week, I would definitely recommend you either go back and listen to the sermon or at least read chapter one, but I'll give you a little snapshot of what was in chapter one. Uh, So let's start first today with, uh, today we're going to meet a new character that we have not yet met in this story, but I want to give you a recap of the characters we've already met in the story. So the first character that we already met in this story is God. God actually is, is only referenced uh, several times th- by the people in the story, and we don't have like any direct uh, talking from God necessarily. We don't have God interacting with somebody in some kind of specific way. Instead, what we have is God doing his normal work, which is his work of providence. And so, yeah, we have times in the Bible where God will speak like from heaven and say something to a prophet or something like that. But most of the time, God is actually working behind the scenes in a hundred small ways that you don't even know. He's working in your life in a hundred small ways that you don't know. You might be aware of like five things God is doing in your life, but God is doing 10,000 things in your life right now. And that's what we see in the book of Ruth. God is working behind the scenes. God is working in all the gaps. God is working in people's hearts and in their minds and in their own story and he is re-envisioning their stories through his story. And that's what we're going to see here. Uh, the people in the story, <clears throat> in living their own story, probably felt <clears throat> uh, a bit frustrated, uh, angry, as, as some of the people had gone through deep wounds and bitterness. Uh, but once they can reframe their story in light of, what, of God's story and what God is doing, it changes the entire thing. All right? So that's what we're going to see, that God is, is, is working Uh, behind the scenes, we talked about it being his invisible hand, and the word that comes through all the time in this text is hesed. And that's a Hebrew word, which means God's loving kindness. So this entire text is about God's loving kindness, 
And uh, we're going to look into how God's kindness comes to us and then how we can distribute that kindness into the world. Okay, so God is the first main character. Second is Naomi. We met her last week. And Naomi was a woman who left her home in Israel and went to Moab, which was a, a place that didn't worship the true God. They had other religions, other gods, uh, very uh, horrible religions. To give you just one example, uh, they would sacrifice their children to uh, these gods in, the old, uh, in, in Moab. So going to Moab was not just like going on vacation somewhere. Going to Moab would be like going to some place where they rejected the true God and they uh, only accepted their gods. So, but, so this Israelite woman, leave, Naomi, leaves with her husband and goes to this place and uh, she faces all these, all these things that, uh, in the midst of this place. First thing is she loses her husband. You can imagine the wound that that would bring, the pain that would bring in her life. Second, uh, she loses both of her sons. Her sons get married, and then she loses both of her sons. So now she has two daughters-in-law. One of the daughters-in-law was named Ruth. That's another character. So you have Naomi. She becomes very bitter because she lost her, her husband and her sons. And then you have Ruth, one of the daughters-in-law, who through this whole thing meets the true God. She was worshiping the false gods, but she meets the true God, and she uh, goes with Naomi back to Israel. As Naomi says, I have nothing left here in Moab. I've lost my husband. I've lost my sons. I'm all alone. My only hope would go, be go back to Israel back to my family, and hopefully be cared for there. And so uh, she begins to make her way back. Ruth says, I'm going to go with you. And the reason that Ruth gives that we saw last week was that your people will be my people and your God will be my God. In other words, uh, Ruth had, makes the confession of the Old Testament covenant. The Old Testament covenant that God made with this people was, I will be your God, you will be my people, and I will dwell with you. And what Ruth said is, I have now come to follow the true God. I now give my life to the true God, and I'm going with you, Naomi, back to the land of the people of the true God, even though I don't know anybody there. So this, this woman leaves her homeland and leaves her comfort zone and leaves the religion that she knew, leaves the ethnicity that she knew, and goes to another group of people that love and worship the true God. Okay, that's Ruth. And we're going to see in Ruth that Ruth is an example of a godly woman. Even though she's a new convert, she is godly. She is committed to God 100%, not just with her words, but with her life. Okay, the next person we're going to meet today is Boaz. And this is the first time we've heard of Boaz so far in the story as far as we've been walking through it. Uh, now, Boaz is a man of strength. So as I said, Ruth is a good example of what a godly woman should be or could be. Uh, Boaz is a great example of what a godly man can be, okay? Boaz is a man who loves and fears God. He's not a perfect man, but he's a man that lives his life after the heart of God. His name means strength, okay? And in the town, he is well-respected. Everybody understands that Boaz is wise. Everybody, he's a man of character. He's a man of position, and he's a man of wealth. He has handled his business really well. And so even though he was a wealthy man, he was a kind wealthy man, and he was a merciful wealthy man, and he took care of the whole town and the city and the poor, and we're going to see that also in this sermon. <clears throat> Boaz is a great picture of what Psalm 112 talks about when it talks about who, what a godly man is like. It's going to be up on the screen if you want to uh, hear it, but Psalm 112, we're going to look at a couple of the verses. 
First it says this, praise the Lord. Blessed is the man who fears the Lord. That's Boaz, this guy we're about to meet, who greatly delights in his commandments. We'll definitely see that in Boaz as well. Look what else it says about Boaz, or, or about a godly man. It is well with the man who deals generously and lends, who conducts his affairs with justice. He has distributed freely. He has given to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. His horn is exalted in honor. So a righteous, kind, godly man, according to the psalm, is one who is generous and is merciful and specifically cares for the poor and cares about justice. This is what a godly man is, uh, according to the scriptures. All right, so uh, with that, I, here's my main point today. Kindness is godliness. Kindness is godliness. Here's what I mean by that. Uh, well, I don't know what comes into your mind when you think of the word godliness. If you don't have any church background, maybe not much. It's kind of a weird word for you. Uh, if you're if you've been around the church, you might think of, oh, godliness, a godly person. What do you think of when you think of a godly person? Do you think of a happy person? Do you think of a joyful person, a kind person, a merciful person? Well, that's what you should think about. I think sometimes when we think of godliness, we think of somebody who's like sitting on a mountain. And they're all serious about everything. And they judge everybody because they're so holy. Right? That's not holiness. Holiness, if Jesus is the picture of holiness... Holiness is displayed in kindness. So in other words, the most godly people that you know are kind. And if there is no kindness, they're not godly. Uh, the scriptures tell us this, the fruit of God's spirit is love and joy and peace and patience and what? Kindness. So kindness is a fruit of God working in someone's life. And that's what we're going to see with Boaz. He is a man of kindness. All right? So let's go ahead and jump into the text. Chapter 2, verse 1. Now Naomi had a relative of her husband, a worthy man of the clan of Elimelech, whose name was Boaz. So a couple things. His, uh, we already talked about Boaz means strength. He's a man of character, wealth, and position. That says there he's a worthy man. And he is very well respected in the city. So now it's going to go into the story. We just got like an introduction to the story. Now we're going to enter into the story. And it's a conversation between Naomi, who we met last week, and her daughter-in-law, Ruth. Verse 2. And Ruth the Moabite said to Naomi, Let me go to the field and glean among the ears of grain, after him whose sight I shall find favor. And she, and, he, and she said to her, Go, my daughter. So here's what's going on. If you lived in Israel at this time, they had this amazing program that God put into the law for his people. If you were in Israel and you were poor and you were homeless, or you were destitute in any way, uh, there was options for you. Uh, there was options for you to make ends meet. And one, uh, in Ruth and Naomi's situation, they had a field, and they had some kind of home on this field, but uh, you get the idea, it was not the kind of place any of us would want to live in. That's all they had. They had a field and a home. The field was inherited from the past, from her forefathers, and from her ancestors. And this is all they had. They had no money. They had no extra clothing, and they had no food. And so Naomi's an older woman, and Ruth is a younger woman, and Ruth knows the scriptures, just like Naomi does, and Ruth knows that in the scriptures, provisions are made for those who are poor in Israel in the Old Testament. It's a beautiful picture. I wish we had something like that uh, in the United States these days. Uh, but let me, let me show you what it is. In Leviticus 19, it'll be up on the screen, 
uh, we're told by God in his law how his people should conduct their affairs in regard to their property, their fields that they own. So most people uh, were farmers, and you would have a field, and this is how you would provide for your family, you would sell some of the proceeds, you would eat off of some of it, and this is how you were able to make a living. So listen to Leviticus 19. This would have been the situation they're growing up in. When you reap the harvest of your land, you shall not reap your field right up to its edge, neither shall you gather the gleanings after your harvest, and you shall not strip your vineyard bare, neither shall you gather the fallen grapes of your vineyard. You shall leave them for the poor and the sojourner. Uh, that could be translated immigrant. You should leave them for the poor and the sojourner or ignorant, uh, immigrant. I am the Lord your God. So God says, look, I am the Lord. I am God. And this is what I command you. I have given you these fields. I have given you this property. And I have given it to you for you and your family to harvest from. But I don't want you to take all of it. I want you to leave the corners of the field for the poor and for the immigrant. And in fact, don't, don't even scrape the entire field. When you go through it, just let some of it lay behind so that other people who are in the community could go and harvest it and have a way to make ends meet. In Deuteronomy 24, something similar is said. When you reap your harvest in your field and forget the sheaf in the field, you shall not go back and get it. It shall be for the sojourner, the fatherless, and the widow that the Lord your God may bless you in all the work of your hands. And when you beat your olive trees, you shall not go over them again. It shall be for the sojourner, the fatherless, and the widow. When you gather grapes of your vineyard, you shall not strip it afterwards. It shall be for the sojourner, the fatherless, and the widow. You shall remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt. Therefore, I command you to do this. So his, the ending part there is so key. He says, you were a slave in the land of Egypt. And now I've provided you all this wealth. I've provided you all these means to take care of yourself. So I want you to remember the poor always. And he even says, I am the Lord. In other words, he's saying, I am God. And my command to you is that you be a person of justice and righteousness and mercy. That all that you have is not yours. That it belongs to me, God says. And what I want you to do with it is, yes, I give it to you for your provision, but I want you to always make sure that you take care of the less fortunate as you are enjoying your fortune. This is always God's command to his people. God always commands his people to function differently with their possessions and with their money. That we're supposed to take a portion of our possessions and money and dedicate it to the Lord, and we're supposed to take a portion of our possession and money and dedicate it to the poor. And this has always been what Christians have been called to do. From Genesis to Revelation, and we see that God even makes provision in the law for this. Now, my friend Jerome Gay says this about this particular passage. He says this, Naomi and Ruth essentially had to join Bethlehem's welfare program. That's how poor people survived back in Naomi's day. In the fields after the workers had harvested the crops, the farmers would allow the poor to come and get the leftovers. But they had to work to get it themselves. As a result, there was some dignity in this form of welfare. It was a kind of step-up ministry that enabled those with needs to provide for their families. So I love that picture. The poor could go and take care of themselves, but it wasn't just a handout. It was like they had to go and work in the field to get it, but the provision was made for them to get it. So all of that to say, that's what Ruth is about to do. She's about to take uh, advantage of this program because her and Naomi have nothing so she goes to the field to work. Verse 3, so she set out 
and went and gleaned in the field after the reapers. And she happened to come to the part of the field belonging to Boaz, who was one of the clan of Elimelech. So, a couple of things there. One, it says she happened to come to Boaz's field. It, it could be translated like this. She got lucky and she ended up in Boaz's field. Now, we all know that that is a euphemism for something, right? That is God's hand. That's the invisible hand. It happened to happen. It, I got lucky. What it's saying is that God was there. That God guided her to that field. Because she knew in, God knew in that field she would be cared for, she would be provided, she would be fed. And this woman who had left her false religion to come to the true God, God was now blessing her by sending her to Boaz. Not just with provision of food, but with so many other things as we're about to see. God was guiding her. And this man Boaz is of the tribe of Elimelech, which would have been of the, of the tribe of Judah, a smaller tribe within the tribe of Judah. And everybody knows, in the Old Testament at least, that that's the tribe that the great king will come from. The first readers of this would say, oh, that's the tribe that David the king comes from. And when we read it, we say, oh, that's the tribe that Jesus comes from, right? So all of these things are connected. This passage is actually deeply connected to Jesus. If this story doesn't happen, we don't have... Jesus coming into history. So it's beautiful the way that God is working here. So it happened to happen. In other words, God was doing it. Verse 4. And behold, Boaz came from Bethlehem. And he said to the reapers, the Lord be with you. And they answered, the Lord bless you. I love this, the way he addresses his workers. The Lord be with you. I think sometimes we're embarrassed as Christians to talk like that. To bring God's name up. To talk to each other as if God is real and involved in our lives. But what if we were not ashamed of the gospel? What if we were just okay with talking about God as a normal person as part of our life? That Jesus is actually a real person that we know. And stop being ashamed of that. This is how they functioned back then. The Lord be with you. It was a, a normal greeting was to bring the Lord right into it. And then they answer back to him, the Lord bless you. So they're actually bringing up two great covenantal things. I won't take too much time on this. But one is, the Lord be with you is about the promise. I will be with you. God's promise. So every time you say the Lord be with you, you're saying, God has promised to be with you. God has promised to be with us. But then the Lord bless you, that's about the Abrahamic promise. That God said, I will bless whoever blesses you and I will curse whoever curses you. And so uh, these believers would greet each other saying, we're under the Lord's blessing. May the Lord bless you. So we can see from, just from his greeting, that he is a joyful man, Boaz, that he is a loving man, he cares for his employees, he cares for his workers, and he doesn't treat them like slaves. Instead, he treats them with respect and honor. All right, so this story continues, verse 5, then Boaz said to his young man, who was in charge of the reapers, whose young woman is this? So he comes and, and he notices, he notices Ruth. I'm talking about he notices Ruth. Do you know what I'm saying? Like, because this story's going somewhere, okay? He sees her, he's like, whoo, who's that? Now, um, you should know that at this time, you know, uh, they're in the Middle East, and, uh, you know, Jewish people at this time probably had darker skin than most Jewish people that we might know in the United States. But uh, Ruth would have had very dark skin from where she was from. So, just by seeing her, everybody could know she's not a Jew. But many uh, people from other nations came under the rule and the care of the true God. And so you would have had different ethnicities as part of Israel 
coming and worshiping the true God. But I want you to see this, that Boaz is not all caught up on race. He sees her and he likes her. He's like, who's that? And he gets the word from his foreman. He says this, uh, verse 5, verse 6, sorry. And the servant who was in charge of the reapers answered, she is the young Moabite woman who came back with Naomi from the country of Moab. So Boaz would have already heard about Ruth, even though he has not met her. Now he sees her. He's like, who's that? Oh, that's Ruth? And the reason why that would have been attractive to him is because he heard that Ruth had left her homeland, had left her family system, had left her religion to come and serve Naomi and to worship the true God and to be part of the church, to be part of Israel. So he's heard about this person. And it's just like when we hear about somebody who becomes a Christian, we're like, whoa, they became a Christian? That's crazy. Like they, that was not even on their radar. And now they love God and they're following Jesus. And so that's probably similar there, but also the care that she gave to Naomi, which would have been Boaz's uh, distant cousin, a relative, and whom he cared for. And he knew that Naomi was uh, in need. And so here Ruth is taking care of Naomi. And so Boaz, being a godly man, is not just impressed when he sees her like, I like the way she looks, but he knows about her character. All right. Uh, Verse 7, she said, please let me glean and gather among the sheaves after the reapers. So she came, and she has continued from early morning until now, except for a short rest. So the guys working the field would have done their work, and then there would have been some stuff left behind. You could go to the stuff left behind, and you could pick from it to get enough food to live on. You could glean the edges of the field and the stuff that they had already worked on. And this foreman says, hey, look, she's been working all day. She only took a short rest. She, look at how much she is producing. She is a hard worker. So I want you to see this, too. Ruth is not only a godly woman, but she is a hardworking, tough woman. And she gets out there and she does what needs to be done to take care of her family. I, I love the, just the, the real-life godliness that you see in the book of Ruth. That sometimes it means we just got to get out there, we got to work, we got to provide, and that's what she's doing. And she's doing that to provide for her family. Boaz is very impressed with her. Verse 8. Then Boaz said to Ruth, Now listen, my daughter, and do not go and glean in another field or leave this one, but keep close to my young women. Let your eyes be on the field that they are reaping and go after them. Have I not charged the young men not to touch you? And when you are thirsty, go to the vessels and drink that the young men have drawn. So he says, Look, you don't need to keep searching. You come work here every day. I'll let you glean here every day. And in fact, You don't even have to come as a gleaner. Because I've heard of you and your reputation that you love the true God and that you're taking care of Naomi, you can come here and you can be just like the employees. You can drink from the water fountain just like the employees. You get all the benefits of the employees. You get to be part of what we're doing here. And you can come here every day and my protection will be on you in two ways. One, you're going to work with the best women in the fields. Two, I've already told all these men not to mess with you. Now, just like today, in some of these fields, if you go up into central California, it is true that some of these women get assaulted in these fields. It's always been the case. It's happening in L.A. We shouldn't be so shocked uh, that women are often assaulted by men who take advantage of them. 
And Boaz is saying, look, some of these men, I don't know them, and I know that some of these men are going to try and make a move on you, and so you now have my protection. So we see in a time period where women were second-class citizens back in this ancient time, Boaz is godly, and he treats her with respect and kindness, and he begins fighting for her rights as a woman and protecting her. It's a beautiful picture as he's getting to know who she is. Verse 10, and she fell on her face, this is Ruth, bowing to the ground and said to him, why have I found favor in your eyes that you should take notice of me since I'm a foreigner? I mean, she knew that she was not ethnically Jewish, that she knew she came into this faith as ethnically different outside of this faith. And so she's expecting to be judged. She's expecting racism. But instead she gets kindness. Instead, she gets mercy. Instead, she gets brought in. And this is what a true covenant community of God is. Uh, You know, we talk about this church being all souls church. And the reason why is because all souls are welcome in. God wants all souls to come in. It doesn't matter who they are. It doesn't matter if they're rich or poor or what ethnicity they are. God loves all souls. And we see it here as God is bringing her in and Boaz is so impressed with her. All right, um, verse 11, but Boaz answered, all that you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband has been fully told to me and how you left your father and mother in your native land and came to a people that you did not know. Then listen to what Boaz says to her. The Lord, or Yahweh, that's God's name, Yahweh repay you for what you have done and a full reward be given to you by Yahweh, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. He said, look, you have come to take refuge under the wings of the true God. Now you have my protection because you belong to him. I love that picture too. This is what it means to be a Christian. This is what it means to come to God, to come under his wings. It's a picture of a hen gathering her chicks. To be under his protection, to be under his love. This is what it means to follow God. What a beautiful picture. And this is exactly what she's done. She's come under the wings of the Lord. Verse 13, then she said, I have found favor in your eyes, my Lord, for you have comforted me and spoken kindly to your servant, though I am not one of your servants. And so she's blown away by the kindness of Boaz. So let's stop here for a minute. I want you to see that for all of his strength, wealth, position, power, prestige, He's not arrogant. Boaz is humble. And Boaz is kind. And and see, when you really see somebody who is really godly and really strong, they're not insecure. When people are not insecure, they're able to be kind because they're not wrapped up in themselves. They're able to, to give and to serve. And do you see how quickly he releases his possessions? How quickly he gives things away? How quickly he takes care of others? It's not even a thought to him. He's generous and kind because God has been generous and kind to him. And this is how you know you're dealing with a godly person. You know, when you think of a godly person, you're thinking of somebody that when you're around them, you experience God. In some ways, I'm not talking about perfectly. We all all are flawed. But 
when you're around them, you experience something of God. And, and what you would experience when you're around Boaz was this, this man of character, this man of truth, this man of protection, but also kindness. And when you're rich and powerful, you don't have to be kind. But the fact that he is rich and powerful and prestigious and has great high position and respect from all the people and he's kind, that is what God is calling us all to. That kind of kindness that, that lays down self. And this is what he's doing for her. Look at this. Now, part of it, too, is he likes her, right? <laughs> like, yes, he's being kind, but he also is interested. Now, watch this. Verse 14. And at mealtime, Boaz said to her, come here and eat some bread and dip your morsel in the wine. So this would have been, in the ancient world, to invite somebody to sit down with you and have bread and wine was a profound picture of friendship. And for a rich man to say that to bottom-of-the-barrel poor person, come, have some bread and wine with me, was to look past all of the, the, the stuff in culture, all the stuff in society, and to look into her humanity and notice her. He says, come, eat with me. Now, later in the story, another person invites us to sit down for bread and wine. We'll talk about that in a minute. So, at Mila, in the middle of verse 14, so she sat beside the reapers, and he passed to her roasted grain, and she ate until she was satisfied, and she had some leftovers. So, he's feeding her, giving her roasted grain. He gives her so much, she can't eat it all, and so she has history's first doggy bag. And she's going to take it home, and she's going to bring it home to Naomi, uh, because it's roasted grain. That's better than what they were getting, right? All right. Verse 15, when she rose to glean, Boaz instructed his young men, saying, let her glean even among the sheaves, and do not reproach her. So now he's saying, not only has he done all this for her, given her lunch, now he's saying, she doesn't have to get just the sides of the field and the leftover stuff. Give her some of the good stuff. Take some of the stuff from the middle of the field, the best stuff, and just give that to her and let her, uh, you know, reap it. And don't reproach her. Don't, don't mess with her. Don't be jealous of her. Verse 4, 16. And also pull out some from the bundles for her and leave it for her to glean and do not rebuke her. Verse 17, so she gleaned in the field until evening. Then she beat out what she had gleaned, and, when it, was about a, and it was about an ephah of barley, barley, and she took it up and went into the city. So she gets an ephah of barley. That's 30 pounds. So this woman works from morning all day in the fields with just a short break, a lunch break, works some more, works all day, and then takes this 30-pound bag, and she carries This is a tough strong woman, right? Kind of like my wife. Tough, strong woman. Just making it happen, right? And she, who knows how long she had to travel, but after a long day of work carrying a 30-pound bag, we're not talking about a backpack and it's all comfy. I'm talking about like a, maybe they put it on their head. I don't know what they did. But that's, the, that's a walk. After a long day, 30-pound bag, she takes it home, and look at this. Uh, verse 16. I lost my place. Give me a second. 18. And she took it up and went into the city, and her mother-in-law saw what she had gleaned. And she brought it out and gave her food that she had left over after being satisfied. So she gives her, says, look, here's 30 pounds, and here's, some, here's the doggy bag uh, from earlier today. And her mother-in-law said to her, where did you glean today? So her mother-in-law has no idea any of this is going on, but her mother-in-law knows Boaz. 
because she lived here before 12 years ago. And where have you worked? Blessed is the man who took notice of you. So she told her mother-in-law, whom she had worked, and said, the man's name with whom I work today is Boaz. Now, at that moment, you could, Naomi was probably shocked. Her jaw dropped because she grew up in the city, hadn't been back for 10 to 12 years, and now she's back. But even back then, Boaz was a godly man. And he was also one of their relatives in their family. And there was a whole setup of the relatives were supposed to step up and take care of people that fall on hard times, people that were about to be sold into slavery, or people that were about to lose their property or about to go bankrupt. Your family would jump in for you to help you out. And so Naomi's excited at this prospect because they're related to him, but also Naomi knows this man's character. So verse 20, and Naomi said to her daughter-in-law, may he be blessed by the Lord whose kindness has not forsaken the living or the dead. And Naomi said to her, this man is a close relative of ours, one of our redeemers. This is that whole idea where they would, they would uh, redeem the family as they fell on hard times. Uh, great Old Testament commentator, Mary Evans, says this. She says, Yahweh's kindness to Naomi and Ruth was shown through the kindness of Boaz as well as through Ruth's kindness to Naomi. The coincidence that Ruth had happened on the field of a close relative, indeed one of our guardian redeemers, is now clearly ascribed to Yahweh's intervention. Guardian redeemers were close family members who had the responsibility to buy back land that had been lost in order to ensure that it did not pass out of the family. By extension, that came to be understood as those who, who, out, to take, those who out to take responsibility for caring for needy relatives. So, so this, is, uh, this is the possibility that is coming to, into their mind is maybe he could take care of us. Maybe he could redeem us. So the redeemer in your family would redeem your property, buy your property, and bring your family back into health and strength. And so you know, Naomi says he's actually in the category of people that could redeem us. And so the story begins to wrap up, at least at this point until we get to next week. Look at verse 22. And Naomi said to Ruth, her daughter-in-law, it is good, my daughter, that you go out with this young woman, lest in order to the field be, in the field you be assaulted. So she kept close to the harvest kept close to the young woman of Boaz, gleaning until the end of the barley and wheat harvest. And she lived with her mother-in-law. So what do we see here? We see God's kindness. First, we see God's kindness in even putting a law into Israel for the poor. Uh, we see God's kindness to care for all people. But then we start to see God's kindness in Ruth herself as she serves her mother-in-law. Then we see God's kindness in Boaz, as Boaz begins to care for Ruth. And we see all throughout the story, Boaz's strength and character and great kindness. And so we can look at it and say, okay, this is the kind of person that God can shape me into being. God, a generous and kind person. Tony Marita, good friend of mine and a Bible scholar, wrote a commentary on uh, this section, and he says this, There is more to Boaz than a model of justice. He's also a picture of Christ. So as we look to Boaz, we also want to look through Boaz so that we may see our Savior. Boaz's grace points to Jesus' grace, the grace that has brought our salvation, and the grace that strengthens and empowers us to, to love this broken world. 
Jesus, in his kindness, has sought the outcast, has given us refuge, has fed us at his table, has become our redeemer. Now in Christ, we have a new status and are empowered to live a righteous life to God's glory. You see, Boaz is a picture of the true and better redeemer who is coming. Boaz is a picture of redeeming this family. But there's a greater redeemer who's coming. Uh, there was a need for redemption with Ruth and Naomi. They, they needed to survive. They were in poverty. They were in danger. They were destitute. They were ashamed. They were humiliated. But the same is true for us. Without Jesus, we are in poverty. We are in danger. We are destitute. We are ashamed. We are humiliated. We are spiritually dead. We are guilty. We are lost. We are separated. And we have a need for redemption just as they did. Uh, Boaz is willing, as we're going to see next week, to pay the price of redemption. Boaz became responsible for this family. He, he was kind. He was merciful. He was strong. He was a hard worker. He was wealthy and respected. And so we also have a Savior who's willing to pay the price for us. He's willing to become incarnate, become a human, live 30 years in obscurity, live in perfect obedience all of his life, die on the cross in our place for our sins, rise from the dead. He makes the purchase. He ascends into heaven. He's still praying for you. He's still making the purchase. He has not left you. His kindness is still with you. Jesus is the image of the invisible God, the perfect human, the kinsman redeemer, and the bank of our goodness he gives all of his goodness. Just like Boaz gave all of his resources and gave all of his blessings to Naomi, Jesus gives all of his blessings and his resources, all of his goodness. He takes our flawed imperfection, our sin, our rebellion, and he takes it upon himself on the cross, and then he gives all of his perfect obedience to us, not because we earn it, not because we deserve it, just because he's kind. Just straight up kind. I mean, God's blessing of you has nothing to do with you in a sense. It has to do with you in the sense that he loves you and he likes you and he wants you, but it has nothing to do with you in the sense that you did anything to earn it. It's just straight up kindness. It's kindness that comes out of nowhere. It's kindness that is undeserved. It's kindness that you did not seek out. And Jesus is now saying, see my kindness? Now you go and be kind. You go and give that same kind of love to this broken world. You see, the only way in which this world is going to see God is through our kindness. It's not going to be through our preaching. It's not going to be through our shaming. It's not going to be through culture wars. It's going to be through kindness. Kindness is how God saved the world. And then he brings us into a family just like this, these people. Two women without a family are going to have a family in the same way that when you come under God's kindness, you join a family called the church. And in the church, God is kind to the people there and blesses them and wants to extend his kindness to people outside of his grace. So God's kindness leads us to kindness. Kindness is relational godliness. Boaz is kind. Our Savior is kind. May the Holy Spirit make us kind. Let's pray. Holy Lord, thank you that you've given your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, 
Thank you that you have been unbelievably kind to us. May we be kind to everybody we encounter. We know that everybody is dealing with pain and struggle. May we be the most kind of everybody that we know, not because we're trying to earn anything or show anything, but simply because we belong to you and you've been kind to us. So we pray these things in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit.